I've got some good news for you this morning. I've told you that Gail and I have been praying very hard over quite a long period of time to see if there's not some way to keep the dispensable church intact and going. Um, what is the tradition in India, too? Is it satsang? Satsang, the tradition in India, that those who are on the path come together periodically. And this is actually practiced in various groups there, especially among the monks. They come together to simply encourage each other to share, to be each other's friend. And then they go back and they work hard and then they come back and enter in each other's presence once again. And we have been frankly distressed that there wouldn't be a place here for people to come for those who wish to come. And we've tried very hard to figure out how that could be done. And we did figure out how it could be done, <laughs> finally. So the last service, of course, will be Thanksgiving Day. That's the day we started, so that will complete the three years uh, that Gail and I will be here. But the last Sunday before that Thanksgiving, uh, I will ordain uh, three people, and they will continue <laughs> continue the fires burning. This is a wonderful thing for me because my mother lives here, and... Um, Gail and I will be coming back to visit her and to visit friends. So I'll be able to sit back on the back row and say, No, that's wrong! You got it wrong! <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm really happy about the thought of being able to drop in on the dispensable church and seeing so many of you again. So there will be three ministers. There will be Tui, Wilshinsky, is that correct? <laughs> I asked him if the accent was on the will. He said, no, it's on the shin. So, <laughs> so Tui will be a minister. John Huntress will be a minister. And Marilyn Gatlin will be a minister. All will be dispensable ministers. You have to understand. <laughs> So you got a little taste of John and Marilyn after just 20 minutes of practice. They'd never done this together, although both of them, of course, have been before audiences all their lives. Marilyn, in fact, uh, has frequently done team teaching and, is, as you heard from the announcements, is going to do one sun sunrise spring with her old partner at the, uh, the Attitudinal Center that she set up in Florida, although I don't think that's the name of it. Um, <laughs> I think they called it something else. So they will probably, um, at least for a while, team teach, but uh, they will decide what the style of the church should be. Tui will undoubtedly continue uh, his ministry in his way, doing it through song and so forth. And as you heard also from the announcements, he'll begin... Uh, now every Sunday morning at uh, 10.15. So if you like to come about 15 or 20 minutes early, then you can sing with uh, with all of us a little, a little bit before the service begins. Now this is the plan. We've got about three months between now and Thanksgiving Day. So I thought it would be good if they did one more service in there. And so at some point, about halfway in between that time, they'll do, uh, they'll do another service. Then I'll ordain them on the last Sunday, and that will be part of the service. Often an ordination service is separate, and there are people who go to ordination services, and there are people who go to church services, and they're not necessarily the same. But I thought it would be nice if there was a sense of continuity, of continuity, and uh, <laughs> and 
So we'll have the ordination, and then uh, they'll each give a mini ser- uh, mini sermon. And I don't know what else we do. What we we might do a mass baptism. <laughs> <laughs> A number of, of parents, at, <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> our fire hose. We'll get you off. <laughs> there are a number of parents who have uh, said that they would like to have their children baptized, and so I've said that we. I've promised a, a mass baptism uh, before Thanksgiving. So maybe we'll just throw that one in there too. I, I don't know, but. It, <laughs> It'll be an event-filled service. (laughs) Then, on Thanksgiving Day, uh, we'll have our last service. For those of you who can break away from turkey and dressing and so forth. Uh, And it will begin at the same time that these services begin. Uh, And that'll be the last service that Gail and I will do. And then the next Sunday after that, uh, Tui and... John and Marilyn will take over. Now, this is the most important thing. Those of you who are familiar with the New Thought tradition, it's a real question as to whether or not we are within that tradition, but (laughs) sometimes people, we are not a member of the New Thought Alliance. We've never been asked to be, as a matter of fact. (laughs) But uh, you know that in that tradition, divine science, unity, science of mind, so forth and so forth and so forth. Um, It is the tradition, as I told you with Manny, to affectionately call your minister doctor, if they have a PhD, to call them Dr. Manny. And I want to remind you that Marilyn Gatlin has a PhD. She's uh, she's grimacing now, you see. And so I just, I think it would be ever so sweet if you would call her Dr. Marilyn. (laughs) Now, the uh, corporation papers also give me the right to confer PhDs. Did you know that? (laughs) So we can have Dr. Jonathan and Dr. Tui, too, if you'd like. Think it over and let me know what you want. Okay. <clears throat> let me say one last word about that. Last time, last Sunday, we talked about the point that is reached in each person's life where he or she begins to feel gratitude. Gratitude for what you have received. And once you begin to feel gratitude, then you have no choice but to assume your role as teacher of God and to give as you have been given to. And so we talked about that last Sunday. There will be a transitional period for the dispensable church. Transitional periods are often a little bit difficult. And so for those of you who are happy enough that you can do this, For those of you who have begun to feel gratitude, this is your opportunity now to help the dispensable church, to give it your support, to especially give it your patience and your gentleness. Because just as uh, Gail and I had to do in the beginning of this church, style has to be felt out. You have to see how, how it's most comfortable for you to do things. And so there'll be a little period in which this will be going on. And of course there will be some changes. And the ego loves to denounce changes or else to tout them to the heavens. And there is a a middle road, a middle ground, in which you're patient and you're gentle. And you remember that the dispensable church will continue to be based very simply on truth. It will be a place well, you, you can come and hear the truth. But the style in which that's done, the emphasis that's given, the examples, the humor, and all that, of course, will change. So reserve your judgment. Those of you who are happy enough to do so, reserve your judgment. Practice having no ego. Treat 
the dispensable church as you treat a new litter of puppies or of kitty cats with great affection, you see. You don't ask the puppy not to bite the other puppy's tail <laughs> or to uh, play tug-of-war with the other puppy's ear or something like that. You smile and pat them and give them your affection. This is very much a family now. There is indeed a core of people that have been coming for a long time. And I know you can sense this now. There is great strength in agreement. And there is now agreement about walking home, about needing nothing else in order to walk home. No other motivation except the peace of God. Needing no change in the world, no change in our life, simply the peace of God. And so the dispensable church offers a very, very simple path. Definitely not exciting. But there is agreement now. Agreement of, yes, this path feels comfortable to me. Of course it's not the best path or the worst path, but it's the one that's good for me. And many of you feel that now. And so don't be too quick to desert your family. Don't be too quick to take up the ego's ancient response of turning from things in anger, turning from people, turning from organizations. It's so easy to do that. And what will be gained? The topic this morning is the body. It will actually be entitled A New Look at the Body on the, uh, on the tape, since I think we already have a tape or two entitled The Body. And I'm not sure how long we will talk about this. We may, we may talk about this for more than one Sunday, but I thought we'd just get the ship launched today. <laughs> the body ship. So what do you say about the body? The law of the body, the one reliable, consistent law of the body is that it is changeable. This is always true of the body. At no point does it become untrue. So if you are overweight, remember the law of the body. It's changeable. It is indeed changeable. Your loss of hope, your discouragement, is not grounded because the truth is that the body is changeable. If you are beautiful, <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> Simply remember that the body is changeable. You won't be beautiful too long. <laughs> Not even long to get used to it. I promise you, I promise you. Remember I told you uh, how I was singled out on the pages, of, on the full page of the Dallas Morning News when I was about three or four or something like that. It's one of Dallas's most beautiful little children. <laughs> Indeed, I did not have long <laughs> to worry about that. Uh, if you've neglected your body, if it's run down, flabby. I don't want to get you depressed here. But <laughs> in the throes of deterioration and so forth. Remember the basic law of the body. It is changeable. Uh, I used to swim over at the Fort Mar Marcy uh, complex, this one that they built for the dispensable church. You know. Then they blocked off the road so no one could get to it. Remember how they did that? But they removed the block. When I stopped swimming there, they said, well, gosh. They removed the blocks and so everybody could come. Uh, and many of you didn't take advantage of that. So the city fathers and mothers uh, opened the streets once again. However, I used to attend, used to uh, swim my little laps. And 
at the time that I chose, it was right at the tail end of a, I don't know what it really was called, but to me it looked like an old people's exercise class. Um, and it was humiliating. It was absolutely humiliating for me to uh, be there. With I, It didn't look as if anyone in the class was under 70. And uh, they all of them were in far better shape than I was in. <laughs> and, I, and so the sometimes I would get there at the beginning. I would swim my little laps, and they would still be at it when I would leave, you know, jumping up and down and moving their legs and their feet and so forth. I don't know when these people took this up. They had to have been working at it for some time, though. And so remember the law of the body. If you have an excellent memory, <laughs> don't let this bother you. If you think this separates you out, makes people think you're a snob, I promise you the days will come and when you cannot recall even your own phone number. <laughs> so that's the first point that is taken into consideration. The second point, as I've told you, Manny said, it is good to have numbers. It implies organization, deep thought, crystal thinking. <laughs> Sneeze number one. Uh, but you, I've learned to put the number after the point. Because <laughs> if you tell the people how many points you're going to have, then you don't get through it or you can't remember point seven or something like that. The second point is the body exists only now. This is the only time that your body actually exists. But you deeply disbelieve that. It's very important that we, that we understand how deeply we disbelieve the simple fact that our body only exists now, right now. This enters in our life in a number of ways. We, we, we deny this. People pick up old photographs and cry in nostalgia as to what they once looked like. Uh, perhaps there was some time in which you, you were greatly overweight. And so now there's this anxiety that it could happen again. You could gain the weight again. So either there is this remembrance of how things were what feats you could perform, how strong... I remember once I had some guys over, they were uh, helping me build something out there. And uh, there was a time in my life when I could take a, a, a big barbell with... Uh, I don't remember how much weight on it. Uh, I think it was at one point around 200 pounds. But this wasn't a dumbbell, this was a barbell. And I found that it was more impressive to pick up a barbell with one hand than it was a dumbbell, although they weighed the same thing. So one of the little tricks that I could do, which is it's mostly timing and so forth, was that I could get my hand under the barbell and I could do what's known as a clean and jerk in one movement, like that. And it was very impressive. <laughs> It had been many years since I had done a clean and jerk. And we were clearing out the house. I ran across the old barbell, took it down to this group of construction people. And, <laughs> oh, it was so humiliating. <laughs> Why did I even attempt such a thing? <laughs> As I went limping off uh, the... <laughs> An understudy for the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> um, it was simply because I was not looking at my body as it is now. I was remembering how it was. That's what we do. We remember how our body was. And we have this anxiety about the future. So instead of looking at our body, really looking at it, we remember the way it was or we have this anxiety about what's going to happen. 
Once there was a little heart problem. Oh, it's going to come back. Once there was an ulcer. Oh, it's going to come back. And we don't look at our body. I remember there was a doctor who had to sort of get me and look me straight in the eye and say, you don't have an ulcer anymore. But I'd had one back in college, and I just always thought of myself as someone with an ulcer, although I hadn't had one for years. So I would like to suggest an exercise. Perhaps this will seem a strange exercise to you in a church based on A Course in Miracles. But remember that A Course in Miracles is written on many different levels. And remember that it says it is not helpful to deny the body. Although, in truth, the body does not is not real. But that concept is not helpful for most people. It is best to simply look at your body, we've talked about here, look at it as, as, if, uh, as if it were a pet dog or something, you see, with the same objectivity, or a pet pig, whatever you want. Uh, pet pigs are wonderful. They're just real cute. Very intelligent. They don't have a large vocabulary. That's the one. That, um, so the exercise that I suggest is that sometime you stand before a mirror and look at yourself as you are now. This is not easy. <laughs> Just look at yourself. But look at yourself without judgment. For the key to having a happy body, the key to being able to walk through the world happily and peacefully, entails having a comfortable and happy body. And there is no way to have a comfortable, happy body that does not plague you in some way without looking at it without judgment. So you stand before the mirror and the first thing you do as you look is you look at yourself. You can buy full-length mirrors for very little money. Just a few dollars. They won't last long. They're not necessarily made of glass, but they will do it. Just look at yourself. Look at yourself the way someone who truly loves you would look at you. Close your eyes now and see if you can get a sense of that. Someone looking at your body, looking at everything that you are embarrassed about, you've run from, that you're proud of, you're anxious about, and so forth. But here stands this dear, dear, dear friend. And they look at your body gently into the eyes of love and great affection. Great affection. And say to them, oh yes, but look at this. Look what's happened here. And see them look so gently and smile because they love you. And they see how unimportant this is. And equally they do not let the pride or the excitement about some part of the body interfere. They look past that, too. Don't you forgive your friends, their pride, their arrogance. Okay, open your eyes. So, you don't look at your body as if you were a little sex pot. You look at it as if you truly loved yourself. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? A little sex pot. Where that came from? People never say, so-and-so's a big sex pot. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't work. I don't know. <laughs> it's not happy to be looked at as a little sex pot. Have you noticed that? It's not a happy thing. Have you ever looked at anyone in that way? 
someone you must have because they're famous or they're rich or they're physically beautiful or they're scintillating or they're whatever. And suddenly you've got to have them. Notice that you don't treat them well. Can you remember not being treated well by someone who's got to have your body? You're not treated well. And so you don't wish to look at yourself that way either. Either. Nothing like a stutter to keep get people. Everybody was looking at the window and I stuttered. See, it's the faults in the body that get the attention. So look with affection, with gentleness. And then ask yourself some questions in this little exercise. Is there some place that hurts? Is there something that has gone unfixed for a long time? Needs fixing now. You will see things that you've let slide, sometimes for years. There's this tendency to let some problem set in about the body and out of fear simply do nothing about it year after year after year. You do not realize the devastation this does to your mind. So look calmly at your body. And then close your eyes and look at your image of your body. So you know a great deal about your body. Perhaps you could look at your past image and your future image, the thing that we always shuttle between instead of looking straight at our body. But also look at your mental image of your body and what you know about it. Be, be your own consultant. If you wish, sit yourself down in a chair and tell yourself about your body in plain English. And give yourself hope. Tell yourself the body is changeable. I do not have to simply endure anything. This is a fact, people. You do not have to endure it if you will give yourself options and you'll proceed gently. And if you will not be in a rush, you can eliminate those things that are distracting you about your body. For what is the purpose of the body? Point three. We have got this all wrong. What the purpose of the body is. We really think the purpose of the body is fear. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But what is the true purpose of your body? It is to serve your peace. It is to serve your way home. It is to serve your happiness. That is the purpose of your body. And most people's bodies do not serve their peace and their happiness and their comfort. Most people's body are a plague. <laughs> they are a constant source of unhappiness, anxiety. They are something to run away from, to deny. But your body, remember, is changeable. And so... Although you may have had the world's purpose for a body, and you know the world's purpose for bodies, and although you may have had some version of this, the body is changeable, and you can change its purpose in your life. In order to do this, you must have reached a certain level of awareness, and most of you have. And so to get yourself fixed up and be extraordinary looking and go to a party is not necessarily happy. Now, if you haven't gotten to the point where you can see that, then you're just going to have to work a little bit longer <coughs> to get all adorned and brushed and powdered and lined and healed and quaffed and accoutred <laughs> until you are devastating. 
for some reason this is a good term applied to appearances. And then to go to a party where you will be seen is not necessarily happy. You have got to have at least gotten to the point where you can see this, where you are aware that simply getting attention is not necessarily happy. And there's a very good reason for this. There's a reason why you will feel anxious if you have done this. And all of us have done this in the past in one way or another. Even if it's boning up on our facts so we can be very intelligent at the party. It's the body that's intelligent. The facts will be forgotten. How much do you remember of what you learned in school? I'm back now teaching uh, John the first grade, and I am appalled at what I don't know. Just little, you know, subtraction tables and things like that that I've forgotten. Why is it that it is not happy, although the world says it is, to receive a great deal of attention for your body? What, what, what is it that makes it not a happy thing to have your body stand out, either positively or negatively? It's because yourself is not being seen and you sense this. This is why, for example, it is not happy to be famous, even a little bit, even semi-famous as I am. It's not a happy thing because it changes with whoever walks in the room. It changes with what the last thing you said was or the last thing you did. Why is it not happy to be singled out in a crowd as someone of enormous wealth or of enormous position? Because the self isn't being seen. Gail and I lived on a street and there was a governor that, that lived just down the street from us. And he made a mistake. I can't remember. I think it had something to do with the, the Indians of this state. I'm not sure. But it was evidently an unforgivable mistake. And I remember after he had served his term as governor, had not been reelected, he came to a garage sale of ours. And I remember his thumbing through the books. And he wasn't famous anymore. He, it was almost choked people to even say that he had been governor of New Mexico and he ended up having to leave the state. At least that was the perception in some people's eyes. There were other people who, of course, probably viewed him with great affection. So none of these things that we get for our body, spiritual attainment, spiritual powers, whatever it may be, are happy if they do nothing but draw attention to us because the self is not being seen. You know that your self will not change. How many times have you heard an elderly person say, my mind's just the same, but look what's happened to my body. My mind's just as it was when I was back when I was 20 years old, when I was 18 years old. But look at my body. It's so hard for me to get used to this body when my mind's just the way it, it was. Everybody's heard that statement. Because we do sense within us something that does not change. We have our mind. Even the, the falling away of memory and so forth does not affect this. Even senility does not affect this. Perhaps you have seen people surface out of senility as is so frequently the case. They'll have moments in which they surface out of it. And they often can talk quite lucidly about their senility, knowing that they're going to go back into it in just a matter of minutes or hours. But even in their senility, even when you've been flat drunk, wasn't there a part of you that was standing back, calmly watching all of it? It did not change. And this is what you long to be recognized. This is why we have this sinking feeling when we, we leave a social occasion. We've had lunch with a friend or we've been over to some people's houses and there's this slight sadness because there wasn't this joining as there almost never is. But we keep hoping for it and expecting it and yet 
there's this little bit of sadness. The only thing that can join is this part that does not change. That's what joins. And yet what we try to do when we get together with people is to get the egos together, to get the opinions together, to get the outlook on life together. And this is totally and absolutely impossible. And so everybody's got to lie a little in order for there to be the semblance of agreement of what people to attack. What's the best politician? What's the best technique for levitation? Whatever it may be, you see. And everybody nods their head, but they're not nodding inside. They don't quite agree. That's not quite the way they would say it. And so this is why it's not happy. And you have to have reached that point where you see this at least a little bit, or what I'm saying will have very little meaning for you. And so if you haven't reached that point, if you do still think that it's very exciting and wonderful to have people give you a tremendous amount of attention for whatever reason, then I suggest that you look at this. Just look at it. Don't fight it. Don't try to change it. Every time you see you're wanting yourself to do that, please do it. Do it without judgment, without self-criticism. And as you do it, see if you truly do like it. You don't have to accept everything the world holds up as wonderful. And to be singled out, the world says, is wonderful. And it is amazing that people go on believing this. So just look. What effect does it have? And then you will change from the inside. And you will not put yourself in positions that make you uncomfortable, make it difficult for you to be peaceful. So what you wish to do is develop a body that is comfortable, that is friendly, that brings ease and comfort to other people. This is the mistake that so many people make on a spiritual path. Suddenly they're to let their body go. It's not spiritual. And so they let their body go. They let their appearance go. Notice that this is no happier. This simply brings a different kind of attention. You want a body that is easy to look at. A body that is easy on the eyes. Not a body that's spectacular. A whole fireworks show in itself. <laughs> Nor one that people draw back from in horror. <laughs> Even a very, very elderly person can have a body that is easy on the eyes if that person is comfortable with being old. You will become old. The body is changeable. You wish to go into elderliness, ancientness, comfortably and easily. And so if you're comfortable with your age, if you have looked at your age, if you've looked at your present physical abilities, and then if you dress your body comfortably in a way that's easy on people's eyes, if you eat the kinds of food that make your body feel good, it's okay for your body to feel good. This is quite different than super health or superman, super... There's no superwoman, is there? There is a superwoman? Superwoman. <laughs> Wonder Woman. Energy. It's not that you, you're, you're trying to get... You're not supposed to be more energetic than thou. And drop little hints about how long you have to sleep. <laughs> And uh, what time you get up and all the things you can do and so forth. This isn't happy. This is not what you want. But it's all right for your body to feel good, to be comfortable, to be happy. This is a possibility. If this takes an operation, consider having an operation. If this takes a little exercise, yes, you have always maintained the position and people have always chuckled when you said, I never exercise. But remember, 
you can change. <laughs> it's okay. Perhaps a little exercise might good be good. Yes, you've always liked your drink. You've always liked your green chili. You've always liked your whatever it may be. But look at yourself. What is being gained by being consistent in this way? You have a choice. Either your body can be consistent or your mind, but not both. Either you can have consistent peace or you can have consistent behavior, but you cannot have both. Your behavior must give way to the peace of God. It must bend with every breeze that it needs to bend to. And so if you need to change your diet, change it gently and happily. Look at your diet. You already know what foods are making you unhappy, that are not helping things. Look at them. See if there's not a substitute or a gentle way of just giving them up. Perhaps it's not necessary to give them up completely. For example, many people now are saying absolutely no sugar, but they are, they are not taking into effect the psychological business that many people think of sugar as fun and happiness, as one of the, the extras in life. And so possibly you can every once in a while allow yourself a little sugar. This is just an example. I'm not suggesting that people do that. Certainly not this group. <laughs> but why do we have to take an extreme position? Suddenly we realize that too much sugar is not helpful. And so we, 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 the ego immediately goes to the other extreme. You see. Never will it touch my mouth again. And so people, someone's fixed you this wonderful, wonderful dessert. It has sugar, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's too below sugar. Or it's, uh, what? I don't know. Too below honey made into sugar. Yeah. So this is what you want. Body to be comfortable, to be easy. You're going to have it for a while. This fact must be faced, people. You're going to have your body for a while. So why not make it a friend? If there's a problem, look at it. What is the purpose of the mind toward the body? Now, you see, I've already lost. <laughs> what point are we on? <laughs> what? Four, perhaps? <laughs> Uh, many people do not understand the purpose of the mind regarding the body. So the purpose of the body is to help you get home. It's to facilitate peace. That's the purpose of your body. But what is the purpose of your mind regarding your body? So these are the two areas of confusion. People don't understand what the purpose of their body is, and they don't understand the purpose of their mind toward their body. So the usual purpose of the body is it's a potential danger. It, it, it's, it's, a, uh, it's some sort of uh, punji stick ready to be fallen on. Is that a good analogy? No. Um, <laughs> use your own analogy. <laughs> it's a danger. It's very, you know, it's something that must be tiptoed around. It's a, it's a danger because of the, the ever-changing ideas of beauty and handsomeness. These change, don't they, every few years. You were caught in just such a change, weren't you? This is not fair, is it? Suddenly you're not beautiful because simply the change of, uh, of styles, body styles. We're afraid of the body and we think the purpose of the, of the mind toward the body is to fear it. So the purpose of the body is to be a place of fear. And the purpose of the mind is to think about the body fearfully. This is what we believe. And so we have this brief period of bloom. This, this, this bloom of the body. This short period in which the body can... can <coughs> 
experience all the benefits of the world. Very, very short period. And this is a cause of anxiety because either we're past it or we're in it. That's just as awful to be in it because it's running out. Or we haven't yet entered it. Will we make the most of it? If it is the body that must gain, if this must be the thing that will make us happy, if this is the receiving set of our happiness, then the body must be looked at fearfully. But if the body is seen as something that can change and become easy and comfortable and friendly, then it can be looked at peacefully and without fear. But first it must be looked at. There is all this emphasis on bodies that generate the fear. Bodies must have lots of hair. Well, let's see. They must have great heads of hair, let's put it that way. Uh, Bodies must have glorious tans. Bodies must be tall, at least taller than your friends. I mean, just look at the magazines and the, and the television and, and everything. Bodies, bodies that, we see bodies that can perform amazing physical feats. Bodies that can run long distances and so forth and so forth. And some of that we must be left out of. And all of that is slipping away. And so there is this tendency, because of the world, the way the world looks at the body, to be afraid of it. And to think that the very purpose of our mind toward the body is to fear it. Now, I've actually got two pages. Well, actually, I've got three pages here. But we're going to end shortly. Now, don't let this worry you. Uh, We're going to end very shortly, as a matter of fact. Let me see what what we can sum up this section with. Let me sum up. This. We'll talk a little bit more perhaps next Sunday about the body. I'd like to get in specifically to, to illness and to uh, overweight. This seems to be a insanity, a national insanity. When people, people stand before the mirror. Now, when you stand before the mirror, look at your body and say, not, perhaps you see, you would be a little bit more comfortable if you lost five pounds. Don't let your ego come in and say, no, it's got to be 25 pounds, and it's got to come off in 10 days. (laughs) Don't do this kind of thing. How much weight do you wish to lose? You wish to lose only the amount of weight that will make you feel comfortable with your body. There is no magic uh, number. There are no charts to consult. There's simply you to consult. Consult your mind. Consult what feels good to you. And the same about your diet and your clothes and your exercise and your sleep and how you sleep and what you sleep on, what you do before you sleep, how you wake up, rest, how much rest you give yourself, and all that kind of thing. This requires a knowing. This is what I hope that you will come away from our talk with. And that is the understanding that if you will practice knowing, you will know. And this is all you have to do is to begin practice knowing. Simply practice knowing your body. What you want is to develop a deep trust in your knowledge of your body. So, of course, it's fine to to get um, information on your body. Uh, Have the allergy tests or whatever it is you feel you must do or the glucose test or whatever the thing is. That's fine. But let the collection of knowledge come from your peace and your knowing. Don't get caught up in this worldwide insanity of rushing all about and getting hopelessly confused. Notice that there are a thousand articles on any of these subjects and that they all deeply conflict. What you must do is is plot a course of sanity through all of this. You will find no agreement. 
you will come to no conclusion if your opinion rests on all of these uh, articles and pronouncements and latest developments and so forth because there's no agreement in the world about them. But I promise you, you can have agreement with yourself. You can feel an agreement as to what to do about your body. And you can begin practicing that. And as you get older, and as some of these problems begin to crop up, you want to have developed this knowing. Knowing now's the time to change the diet a little bit more. Now's the time to stop this exercise, but to do a little bit more of the stretching, whatever it may be. Now's the time to get a little extra rest, a little break in the afternoon, perhaps. No, I've never needed it before, but obviously I feel a little bit better when I do this. A knowing, a knowing about your body. You can have a deep trust in what to do. There is a place inside you that knows what to do about your body. This is not some sort of scary guidance that you're not quite sure you heard right. This is a deep knowing. So practice knowing. Don't get confused when you sit before, when you go through uh, furs. Don't get confused as to whether or not you should get the fried okra. Just you don't have to close your eyes. This is scary to the people back there. They want the line to move on. <laughs> you stop and close your eyes, and this is not. This is going to single you out. <laughs> but if you will just touch your peace, if you'll just touch your peace, you must first see, of course, that you want a comfortable body, that you don't want to keep putting things in your body that are going to give you trouble later or doing things to it. Insisting that your back is the way it once was. But touch your peace, and you'll know whether or not to say, Give me the fried okra. You'll know. Sometimes we end on fried okra, sometimes we end on. Okay. <laughs>